It's such good shit. Look, I don't agree with it either. You don't agree with the the news? Yeah, no. It, it sound if if it's if it's the plan that they're going with, completely boneheaded and stupid. It's Unless just so we're talking that that would be what they were doing. It's just some. It feels like some guy in his basement writing things. Yeah, we're also, you know, no way. You know what? No fucking way that's happening. The guy's wrong. Here's how I know he's wrong, Matt. Maybe you should. We should start the show before I get into this. Actually, uh, yeah, I was about to say this is like the coldest cold open we've ever done. Because we literally jumped midway into a conversation that nobody knows what we're talking about. Um, so, welcome to Such Good Shit, a wrestling podcast where we talk about all the things that make professional wrestling such good shit. And right now we are talking about the rumor going around that the current plan for WrestleMania is that Seth Rollins will defend the WWE Championship against either Cody Rhodes or Drew McIntyre, depending on if WWE gets The Rock. And then the second night's main event will be either Roman versus The Rock or Roman versus Cody, depending on if they get The Rock, uh, which obviously implies that at some point in the next two months, three months, Roman's dropping the one belt to Seth, which makes no fucking sense in any semblance of reality. Yeah, so here's how I know this is kind of brain dead there's no way roman drops one belt without it being horrifically telegraphed he would have to end up in a match where only one belt is on the line and everybody's going to know that this is a reason to split the belts up it's imperative that roman drops both belts at the same time now at after that if they want to play shenanigans and screw a baby face out of one of the titles so be it be my guest yeah, I mean, we have. I feel like the right thing to do is Money in the Bank comes up, and I know that when Austin Theory had the Money in the Bank, it was said that he could cash in for the whole thing. But you could easily just change that narrative on this next go-around. It'll be a new, fresh Money in the Bank. You could have a heel just steal one of the belts. Sure. Well, we've got historical uh, data here. The, there's been uh, three times in WWE that they've unified the belts into an undisputed championship, correct? Uh, so the very first one was the WWE Championship and the WCW Championship. That became the undisputed right. championship. And then that... So when the two belts were... Every time the two belts changed hands, they changed hands together until they spun well, off a new one. That only happened one time. Because after Triple H had won right, then they the made both the belts belt. from Jericho, they made the undisputed right. belt, and then it but was so just that, a one. that's one for one where they mm-hmm. didn't just ship off one belt. Okay, so let's go to the next time there's an undisputed title. Right. So the next time there's an undisputed title was when Randy Orton and John Cena fought, and they unified them, and that became the one. And Orton carried the two belts up until WrestleMania, um, and then when he dropped the belt at WrestleMania. To Dana Bryan, Bryan only won the one, the one belt, um, right? Orton did well, no, carry them both. No, till no, Mania, no. Didn't he? he he won both belts, 
And this is the point I'm trying to make is every time they've done this, they've never done it to where a guy just wins one of the two belts. Because you have to look at this from a sporting perspective. It would make no sense how someone could claim they're still champion of this thing when they just lost to this guy. It's like you're not the champion of anything. You just got beat. Yeah, that's why it doesn't make sense. They pigeonholed themselves into a place where they're now going to have to spin off another title with its own set of lineage, even though the Universal titles only existed for like five years. If they split them. Now, to be fair, if you, unlike in the past, if you split them now, the Universal title can continue to have its own lineage from when it first started four or five years ago, whatever it is, six years ago now. Um the difference would be uh, in the past, the belts basically became fused, right? And then they just created a new belt down the line to be the second belt, right? That's what happened every other time. So if they do split them, this would be breaking the precedent that they've already set, which is good. Not that the universal title has a great lineage that we need to fucking care about, but you're never going to develop a lineage if you keep fucking around with your belt like this. Right. Well, the question becomes, do they even want to split them? They combine them for a reason. Which I think is they combine them out of laziness. Like I feel like it's more of they didn't have a viable... So, I don't think they had like a viable person to have the belt necessarily, A. And B, and then you get into the situation where with the two shows, where which title's more important, Right. Fox versus NBC, and so they're like, we're just gonna have one belt, and Roman will just be on all the shows. Well, no, I think what happened was they were getting to booking WrestleMania, and they Vince had it in his head that it was gonna be Roman versus Brock again. And what's the biggest thing we can do? Put the both belts on the line, right? Without thinking about well, what's next. That's a Vinceism that that we've seen time and time again. It's let's book this thing because this. Well, there should thing, only be one belt anyway. I mean, if we want to get sure, into that, there should only be a WWE champion. Yeah, you can only have one champion. It doesn't make any sense to say we've got two champions because one has to be more important than the other. The last two years, where it's just been Roman with both, or I guess last year, has been fine because you had the IC in the US on both shows. The problem is, because Roman's a part-time champ, you don't have the champ every week on TV, or at least having TV matches, right? I don't expect him to be defending the belt every week on Raw, because we did that for a while. Well, and I would argue the champ should never have TV matches. They should have some. Yeah, it would be a big deal. Maybe like a handful, but... I. Look, Roman hasn't been as absent as Lesnar was, but it's not like, you know, when Cena was the champ back in the 2000s, he was there every week. Now, maybe he was there a little too much. I think there's a nice balance that they could find between being there every week and having a match every week. You could be there every week to tell the story, but you don't have to have a match Triple H was there every week during his reign of terror, but he never wrestled on Raw. Yeah, he did. He wrestled on the Raw all the time. No, not uh, define all the time. At least every other week. No, he, but a lot of that was in tag matches or some sort of he gimmick. He appeared things. on Raw. He hardly ever wrestled. That was part of his gimmick. Was he never wrestled? But he didn't wrestle on Tuesdays. And 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 that's fine. Just be on the show to help continue the storyline. Roman half the time isn't even on the show, which they've lucked into the situation now with the Bloodline where. 
you could just throw Solo and Sammy out there or the Usos and, oh, okay, Roman's around. Um, but yeah, I think they, they book themselves into a corner and they don't know how to get out of it. And unfortunately, the best way to get out of it is to just continue to pass along both belts to the next guy. I mean, they're put themselves in a bad position again. You touched on the Brock Lesnar thing. Now, part of that was when Brock Lesnar only had the universal title. So there was two titles, but there was a period of time there after he took it from John Cena initially that he was the only champion. He was not on TV It's the exact same issue that we're kind of having right now where Roman really isn't there all the time. It seems like every time they do this and they combine the titles, they put it on one person. Well, that person's also too fucking big for WWE and doesn't want to fucking be there every day. And they gotta, you, your champion has to fucking be there. Like Stone Cold was the biggest thing on TV. He was your champ. Some of the time, a lot of times he was chasing didn't really matter, but he was there all the time. He was, he either was wrestling or he was making, you know, moments happen on TV. Well, let's be fair to Roman. He is there like 70% of the time. No, He's on, no. I mean, he's literally just on SmackDown. Sure. Roman's there and he'll be on SmackDown this week, too. Well, because it's the holidays and they're building towards a specific I'm just saying match. he's there quite a bit. He's there enough to sell the pay-per-views. He, which is he's, all there the, all there he's there more than Lesnar. He's there more than Lesnar. Since when has anything less than 100% been okay? It's always been a thing about you're always there, you always have your gear, you're always ready. That was That's like a wrestler thing, and yet... These top stars who who literally get all the gold and are told you need to carry the weight of this brand also just go, eh, yeah, I'll be there. You know, I'd I like got to other know, stuff to do. I'd like to know what the story behind Roman's suddenly going part time is, right? Because that started right around WrestleMania. We heard rumors about it before it happened, and then all of a sudden it was Roman's part time now. I, I'd like to know what was that a contract thing that he negotiated? Is that a personal thing that he wanted? Is that a WWE decision? Like, where did that come from to where he's just all of a sudden was part-time? Because with Lesnar, um, Lesnar came back, was part-time from the get-go, and then Reigns just sort of all of a sudden did it. Because he was on TV week after week after week and had matches week after week after week, and then all of a sudden was fucking gone. So, like, what's the deal? And if it's if a, it's a personal thing that he negotiated in a new contract, like, okay, but like, maybe then he shouldn't be the top guy. Okay. I mean, this conversation aside, back to the original point, um, I think we, we've all agreed now that we think that story's bullshit for several reasons, many of which we highlighted just now, many of which we didn't, but. Yeah, right? I just. I, it doesn't, it doesn't make any logical sense. It doesn't make any no. business sense. Like, Seth is great, and I'd love to see Seth as champ again, but why randomly now, when Seth's not even involved with Roman, would he win the belt? It, it makes no sense. It um, is so damaging that Triple H is approaching his first WrestleMania as head of creative, and they have a literal gold mine under, under their nose with Sami Zayn. And they are not seeing it and not capitalizing on it. It's absurd that they're, they're coming up with it a, not capitalizing on it. Based on Sami Zayn's about to be in the biggest main event or biggest uh, cable main event of the entire year. 
this Friday. Yeah, and if he doesn't win and just goes, and the entire to... story they're setting up is like, can can Sammy hang? Sure, but they do this bullshit all the fucking time, and then that guy never amounts to doing anything else because they send him over but to the division that's falling apart anyway. I don't see how we can start divvying out blame for something that hasn't happened yet. Let's let it develop because. To this point, they've done a great job with Sammy, and he's being displayed prominently, and he's being booked strongly. So, like, I understand you guys are concerned that Sammy's not going to get the right push because Meltzer's got his fucking quote-unquote sources, but there's no reason to believe that WWE isn't going to capitalize on this yet. Well, you got to wonder if maybe this news that's coming out is is purposely leaked to just throw people off the trail right it's log. it's just logical enough that you go well this is stupid but i could see them making that decision right but it's also stupid enough you go well this is a stupid thing why would you do it um you know maybe they're just trying to throw us off the sammy thing i i, I don't know i think we will have some more clarity uh after smackdown this week because like Definitely think whatever ha- is happening between the four guys. This is a big is test for us. sure. This is a big it's test. It's a big test for Sammy. But, but they've also... passed every Sammy test to this point is what I'm arguing. Right, right, right. I think this is definitely leading us directly into whatever the storyline for Rumble is that involves these guys. And I got to believe that Cena is going to be around through Mania season at this point. Right. If you're coming back at the beginning of January, basically, um, there's no reason to not believe that he's going to be involved in some way. I think he'll make appearances, but John Cena he's not going to be there guy. weekly. No, but I could see him having a match at, at the Rumble and a match at Mania. The way they've yeah. advertised his return, it sort of implies it's going to be multiple appearances. Um, not necessarily. Oh, he's that they said he's that for he... sure going to have some pay-per-view matches. He may only do Rumble and Mania, but yeah. If they're going to do an elimination chamber, I'm sure they'll. they'll this have reminds him come in. me of The Rock coming back at Survivor Series before he did like the Rumble and then the Mania rematch with Cena. Sort of feels like that, where it's like we we're working Cena back into into the main storyline here. And um, you know, quite frankly, I wouldn't be opposed if the rumors coming out were that Cena was taking one of the belts. I wouldn't be opposed to that if that led somewhere interesting, like that has more appeal to me than, than Seth winning. Well, I want to say one more thing on this point uh, and then, you know, I'll leave it, but we've been so deprived of good story in WWE for so many years. And we finally have someone uh, because we remember having this conversation a few years ago where we talk about who's going to dethrone Roman. It's like, you couldn't picture it. Now they have a wealth of options and we all love Sammy. And I think it's just important to note that, you know, we're finally getting to watch TV and have a guy that we're rooting for and be invested in it. So let's just enjoy it. Let's enjoy the fact that the main story in WWE right now is revolving around Sammy Zayn, a guy that we're all into. Until he's no longer a part of the main story and then we can get upset about it. That's my proposal to you guys. Right. And to whoever the uh, Jack off was who uh, wrote this quote unquote story about Seth Rollins <laughs> winning the bill. Well, let's go ahead and um, bring the mood down a little bit. 
we made the stupid decision a few weeks ago that before we closed out the year, before we closed out December, we were going to review a specific uh, pay-per-view. And uh, that pay-per-view is ECW December to Dismember. You may remember this pay-per-view as being quite literally one of the worst pay-per-views ever put on. You may dismember it, too. Yes. Um, So we took it upon ourselves to go ahead and watch it again, start to finish. And I gotta say, that's the longest four hours of my life that I will never get back. Uh, And it is only a two-hour pay-per-view. So let's kind of dive in and break down ECW December to Dismember. You know, I'll start us off with just some visual things right off the top, because there was a few things that I noticed that really, you know, made me in a jolly mood for uh, this holiday season. Um, And it's not even something specific to December to Dismember necessarily. It's more about like WWE circa... 2005 to 2010 that time frame which is just like the promo package for the show just selling whatever the main event is like that style of like show promo where it's like we're only gonna like build up the main event here and like that's the whole advertisement for the show okay like i had I, no idea what was going on in ecw or what the rest of the card was other than there's gonna be an elimination chamber match and it's gonna be extreme rules which Hold I on there a second, brother. Let me interject. So do you want to know why the video package only showed that match? Sure. It's not for the reasons that you think. It's because up until the day of the show, they still didn't know the card. Uh, on WWE.com, if you go on the uh, internet Wayback Machine, you can see what was on WWE.com the morning of. Uh, only two matches were scheduled. They were uh, the Hardy Boys versus Eminem. And the Illumination Chamber. That is all that this show was advertised on. They didn't know the card, so they couldn't produce a video package because they didn't know. In what they general, were do. that used to be more of a thing anyway. Though, it was. Right? You're That's right. sort of what I'm arguing here. It's like they would just build these because there were so many pay per views. They would just build these pay per views around one match, mm-hmm. and like you know, I can remember ordering pay per views and not knowing what half the matches were going to be. Right. And now you couldn't imagine that being the case for like a Survivor Series. I knew every match going into that card. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's that is a thing. However, unlike this show, when you would have those those random matches, they generally would be fulfilling storylines that were already going on. So when somebody would you come out, you'd surprised go surprised that they were coming out. Right. You know, if it was Jeff Hardy and I don't know, William Regal and you're like, oh, well, they've been feuding. So this makes sense. Uh, as we get further into the show, we'll, we'll cover yeah. the uh Well, in general, I, I like the video package. I felt like WWE at this time was still doing really good video packages. That mm-hmm. used to be sort of the best thing they did. And I mean, even being able to have like Drowning Pool feels like very significant for the time. Um, although, wasn't that a few years too late for Let the Bodies Hit the Floor? No, see, okay couple of things. So number one, the very first thing I wrote down on my paper here was no better way to celebrate Christmas than let the bodies hit the floor. Sure. Okay. But also, okay, so this was 2006. Let the bodies hit the floor came out in 2001. The song was only five years old. 
which okay kind of seems old like why would you promote yeah, it a show almost i that? almost felt like they used it it was the theme it was the this. theme for ecw they used it every week. No, I'm saying I felt like WWE used Let the Bodies Hit the Floor a in lot. 2001 at some point. Yes. Uh, there was a pay-per-view that it used it on, and then they used uh, a couple of the Drowning Pool songs, uh, WrestleMania 18. But you're right. It is still mage in 2006 to have uh, Let the Bodies Hit the it's Floor. It's only five years ago. So just think right. that'd be like a, them using a song from 2017 today. Like, it's not that far removed. Right. Uh, another thing that I wrote down was there were lots of empty seats when they did the uh, the initial pan of the audience, um, which probably was because this was held in Augusta, Georgia, well known for being ECW territory. Yeah, I mean, uh, we talked about this recently, but, it, you know, it's a failure of the organization uh, top to bottom. The music is great. I thought the, the stage design was pretty cool. Um, and I assume that it's pretty cool because they ended up, you know, re you know reusing this multiple times for Elimination Chamber. I I don't know. I just feel like you can't be mad at the ECW brand when you don't build the pay per view. You hold it in a place where you know the audience isn't going to care, and you don't even attempt to like build up a good match card in the first place. The 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 matches that they didn't announce were also bad. Well, if we, if we want to start talking about cutting the legs out from ECW, we're going to have to... So I don't know if we want to get into this before we start the show, but do a little bit of history about the relaunch because, you know, the Rob Van Dam relaunch, winning the belt, getting suspended, losing the belt thing, definitely, like, sort of sets the stage for this, right? Where you yeah. go from them relaunching the brand, there's all these high hopes, we've got RVDs like the main star, and then in very short order, you've got tons of WWE guys thrown in there, RVDs losing the belt, uh, they're building it around big shit, it becomes a very WWE product within months of launching, the weeks really. So gather around children, as, as the old timer here tells you what was happening, um, when they launched this... It was dead in the water from the beginning because they, through their contacts with Universal Comcast, which USA Network, um, they were able to get it on sci-fi. For whatever reason, that was the network that was offered up and they took it. But with it being on sci-fi, sci-fi had specific rules and regulations that they needed to adhere to. A, they couldn't be bloody. They couldn't be gory. They couldn't do the kind of violence ECW was known for. Um which not that WWE was necessarily doing at that time anyway, but not that you could do on any cable network, by the way. I mean, that was a big problem for ECW in the past was they couldn't get deals because of that. So, right. That's why they were on syndication and all that shenanigans. So, but then the other rule was for it to be on sci-fi. Hey, can we, can we have some sci-fi elements, which gave us the zombie and, um, all Kevin those Thorne, who will see Kevin Thorne being a vampire. <laughs> so I had, I, I did have the unique experience of going to two ECW house shows when that first started. The first one was in the summer of 2006. So the brand had just launched and it was in fucking Huntsville, Texas, like where the prison is. 
Uh, and it was at like a fucking high school gym. It was amazing. Some of the stuff that we saw was they had brought in a lot of old ECW guys and they were all there on the house show. Like C.W. Anderson, um, the FBI, who hadn't been on TV at that point. It, it was interesting, the people we got to see, because they never even showed up on WWE, ECW TV. They were on the house shows in the beginning, and then I don't know what happened. But we also got to see Fertig. Fertig is Kevin Thorne. But this was before he was the vampire, because that hadn't been thrust upon him yet. So he was just a dude. Um, and it was kind of a cross between the Mordecai character and the Kevin Thorne character. When we saw him, he just wore plain trunks or plain black uh, tights. And he had like an F on the side for Fertig. And his name was just Fertig. Okay. Don't know what the fuck that means. I don't know what a Fertig is, uh, but he didn't have the full on get up yet. Uh, that he would have as Kevin Thorne. He just had the black hair. So it was it was weird because the house show we saw was fairly ECW-y. And then contrast that to six months later, they do this pay-per-view and it's like, holy shit, things exploded. Um, you yeah, know, really, when they, when they tried to launch... God go ahead. It. God damn it. <laughs> I was going to say, it's even this pay-per-view is like maybe 25% ECW. You go three, four months from here and it's like oh, it's less gone. than 5%. Yeah. Um, okay, the other point that I was trying to get to before I went off track a bit. Yeah. They, they, they tried to launch the brand with Rob Van Dam, right? He was the big get. But they also moved Kurt Angle over there. And that was on purpose uh, for a couple different reasons. Uh, that was mainly to appease the network. Uh, also, um, well, we'll get into it later on, but another gentleman by the name of Chris Benoit, who was attached to that brand later on. Right. Um, but angle was supposed to be there to be the networky face of it. And then you had Rob right there with him. That was, it, I actually have, I have to go find it. There's an advertisement on the back of WWE magazine from that time frame right before it launched on TV. And that's the marquee poster. It was like Sandman. RVD, Kurt Angle, and Sabu. So if you looked at that, you'd go, man, that's ECW and, and Kurt Angle. Okay. But then Kurt Angle immediately, after a few weeks, gets suspended and gets fired from WWE because he won't go to rehab. Um, then RVD gets suspended for the drugs. Like It yeah, was just a chain of, of events. Is guys and drugs keeping them off of TV. Because when you start talking mm-hmm. about a lot of the originals that – didn't stick around longer, didn't make it on like a lot of that was because of the habits that these guys had outside of the ring. Like there was a reason right. they weren't in WWE prior to this. Right. There were some well, so, who were, and those were the, kind of the upstanding citizen types, mm-hmm. but then there's a lot of and these Sabu. guys who didn't. Sure. <laughs> but a lot of these um, guys just didn't stick around because they had issues that prevented them from being in WWE in the first place. Right. Uh, but you, you mentioned earlier about Big Show being randomly in ECW. He was basically brought in to replace Kurt Angle because Angle was out, right? right. They were basically doing everything they could at that point to like, okay, we got to get some big names in here um, instead of just, hey, let's rely on who we have and, and build up these new stars. And they did build some stars. Like, obviously, CM Punk came from it. and um, Yeah, I, mean, I, I think we'll get into some of that throughout the show, but... 
I'm pleasantly surprised by some of the people they're featuring and then sort of sure. disappointed by others that I had higher expectations for, but obviously we'll get there. Yeah. So, all right, let's first match. It's the Hardys versus uh, Eminem. None of these people are on ECW, by the way. Okay. But That's... Team Extreme makes sense, I guess, in the context of we're going to do an ECW paper, whatever. Okay. But I hated the fact that they kept calling them team. They never called them the Hardy boys. They didn't even call them the Hardys, which was on their Titan Tron when they came out. They only called them team extreme. They had to make it make sense somehow. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So at at one point when Eminem is coming out, Joey Styles says they have never competed in ECW arena. So why the fuck are they opening this show? It doesn't make sense to me. Because the ECW doesn't have anybody. (laughs) <laughs> they did have some people though they still had salmon and tommy Dreamer i don't think there. they had any tag teams that could wrestle the heart i think they wanted okay, to do a hardy's match okay if you want to i then don't i just don't know about opening with the hardy's then like i get it it was the only other marquee match that they even had to advertise but i think the, that's the why the they show opened isn't with it. starting with people are even ECW wrestlers, okay. you're getting off to a really bad start. In, the, in, a, in the in historically speaking, sure, but just sort of like us watching it from where we are today, it didn't bother me, I guess is what I'm saying. Like I was like, okay, I guess this is fine. From a total show perspective, it made sense for that match to be the opener. However, I see your point like to me, like I almost would have booked probably the Tommy Dreamer match first. And had Dreamer come out first. So the first guy you see is Tommy Dreamer. And you go, oh, ECW. I just think that's a that's a fundamental thing. If you're trying to look, I get that you had they had to build something new. They can't do a nostalgia act, but you have those people here. You need to let them anchor until you build people that, you know, this new generation of people watching ECW goes, oh, Elijah Burke, that's an ECW guy. You think that they cared about that. But, well, but that's the problem with the whole concept, really, is that they just didn't. They try. didn't care. Right. Well, and you have to keep in mind, this is what Matt was saying earlier. By this point, they just did not have a lot of those ECW originals anymore. They just weren't there. They physically didn't have the bodies to fill out a pay-per-view event with draws. They had to have the Hardys on this show. You take the Hardys off this show. Think about how little star power it truly has. All of it's in that main event, and that's it. No, I mean, this match should have been on the show. I just, I think it should have taken place elsewhere. I would have let it slide that there was basically an entire not ECW match happening on this show because of the, the situation that they're in. But, I mean, it just feels like you immediately you're telling me, oh, ECW really doesn't matter as soon as the show opens. Uh, and the fans were telling us that because there was no reaction to the Hardy Boys. Like, no reaction. They couldn't have cared less. Well, and it's funny because this is probably the best match on the card, dare I say. It only gets worse from here. By the way, before we start the match, one more thing about the presentation. Mm-hmm. I miss saying hi to the Spanish announce team. I wrote down, when the fuck did ECW get a Spanish announcing team? It's pay-per-view. Sure. It's pay-per-view. They're going to have it. Don't you miss saying hi to those guys? 
Yeah, I miss, miss their table getting demolished. Um, so I wrote the crowd is mild and bored. Uh, and then at one point they start chanting for tables, which it's an ECW show. It's a Hardy Boys match. You're going to be chanting for tables. Are did the W's not in WWE at this point? When did when did they leave? I think they were gone. Because this, this is a logical spot for them. I guess. Yeah, the Dudleys were never really part of the ECW revival. They were at One Night Stand 1. Right, but I they think weren't. they were gone from the company. I think they were gone the next time. Yeah, okay. The Dudleys left in June of 2000, or sorry, July 2005. Opted not to yeah. continue their contract uh, renewal negotiations. So they, um, they did make an appearance at One Night Stand in 2005. That was their last appearance is what it's saying. And they were at that point already on a lengthy hiatus. So I wrote down like, this was basically a house show match. Uh, and it went on way too long. I clocked it at about 25 minutes. It, from it, entrance to it Bell. Yeah. That it did. For a house show match. That's too much. Like they didn't do anything. Look, I'm not expecting them in the opening match to break out chairs, tables and ladders and go crazy. Right. But give us something. It was it was worked very house showy and you can't do that for 25 minutes. So the Hardys did a whole lot of first of all, I forgot the Hardys were even teaming at this point, but I guess it was a very, very temporary thing. The Hardys were big and lazy in this match. I actually felt like Eminem was bringing it in terms Eminem was doing a lot, but the Hardys. Yeah, you're right. They did not do a lot. And they did hot tags constantly. Why were there so many hot tags? Yeah, so there's a couple things that I took from this match. First off, the last 15 minutes are pretty okay. They're they're fun. The first 15 minutes don't even need to happen. There are a few moments in that first 15 minutes, but it did seem like, hey, we have nothing else on this show, and this is like half the reason people are buying the show for some reason. So I guess just go out there and do 30 minutes. And so that's what happened. It was just so boring. And so there's another thing, too, that I wanted to mention. So earlier I said that Joey Styles was like, oh, Eminem's never competed in ECW arena. And then he also says at one point, these teams may never tag again. Yes, I had that. Too. Johnny Johnny Nitro's planning on starting his singles path, which he does end up doing. He wins the ECW title, uh, I think, like a year after this or the summer following uh, this. The summer um, following, yeah, yeah. And then uh, Team Extreme is about to separate because Jeff's got the Intercontinental title. Okay, cool. So then, why the fuck is this match happening? What do we? Because we need to see. It gave, it gave Johnny Nitro the Hardys one more time on ECW for one. If they already knew they were going to be doing that. It just feels like you you threw these teams together in what I assume is like it was thrown together the Tuesday before because the they only just build need to up sell some tickets, is, brother. Is they showed yeah. they showed that video package of like this is what happened last Tuesday, and I guess that's why the match is happening. Yes, and I, then you know what a problem. None was. of these teams are even going to be teaming again. So it's just like nobody has anything really to gain as a tag team from this. No. It just felt very odd. Also, it, not even a couple minutes into this match and Taz and Joey imply that Melina's hot and that Taz can't do his job because of it. She was smoking here. I forgot about that. It's just fucking uncomfortable that, that for no, you forget that No, I had that, that as happening. a positive note. I loved 
I miss when the heel announcers would just gawk over the uh, divas. That to me, that was a bright spot of the show. Like Tez literally couldn't get words out. He was fumbling his yeah. words. That's great. He does that now for other reasons. Uh, the downside with the Molina thing was she kept fucking screaming. And it was Oh, really I had that as a mage thing too, Molina screaming. Ugh, that was annoying. She's it's a fine if it's it's fine if she did it like once or twice. She did it like constantly. Just didn't need to happen. Just didn't need. I felt like Molina had a good night. She had a really nice bump off the apron towards the end of the yes. match, which it was before she was wrestling on TV. So I was like, wow, that was a nice bump. Right. Um, I mean, she was getting the crowd into it, too. At one point, they're chanting, she's got herpes. Uh, <laughs> I, I felt like the scream was effective. It was getting heat. I felt like she was doing a really good job of generating heat for the match. Like as a valet, they're rarely as involved as she was here. Because even true. when you look at how mage their entrance was, which I miss Eminem's entrance, um, you know, Melina's really like holding court in that entrance, pointing people different directions. You know, she grabs kisses at the end from both guys. It's great. Melina was really Melina's the heater here. Sure. Oh, I agree. I actually had wrote a note at one point that you can like hear little kids screaming really loud in the crowd. And then I realized it was Melina. Like eventually yeah. they start showing her doing it. And I was like, oh, that was just her. Yeah, I think Melina gets an A plus for her performance here. And that's probably the only A I'm giving out in the match other than Johnny Nitro. I forgot how quickly he was really great in the ring. He can bump. He's got great work right here. He has a really nice counter at one point on a Jeff Hardy neckbreaker, which I had never seen before. Like he countered the neckbreaker midair. It was really cool. Um, so he maybe gets like a borderline A as well for his performance in this match. But everybody else is a C at best. Yeah, there, there was a one awkward moment in the match that I did notice. I mean, there's a few weird spots, but uh, at one point. Uh, Matt goes to uh, run to the ropes he, like he. He kicks Johnny Nitro. Johnny Nitro falls down. He gets back up as Matt's running to the ropes. And then Melina grabs Matt's leg. And Johnny gets up while that's happening. And I guess it's some... He didn't know the spot or what was going on. And then you can see in the background as Matt's dealing with the distraction, he just like falls back down on his own. And then he's just like sitting like upright, like when the undertaker sits up, he just had his legs out and was like sitting up all of a sudden. I was like, what, what does he do? Like, yeah, why don't the, just... the timing in these tag matches can be, and, and that's sort of Matt's point where it did feel like a house show match. Cause that's kind of mm-hmm. shit that happens sometimes. Yeah. It's like, this was a, this, <laughs> this was like them p- figuring out how this match was going to go for the pay-per-view, but they were already on pay-per-view. <laughs> that is the best way to put this entire show. Um, let's go ahead and move on to the second match. One one more thing on this match yep. before we move on. Jeff Hardy's shirt is blurred. Do we know why? I saw that. I'm assuming it was like a band tee, and they didn't want to pay the rights to, to whatever. Blur that though. Why would he? Ju- why would he just not wear that and just wear it? Oh, so you think it was blurred shirt. on the original podcast or, or on the original broadcast? Something is blurred on replay. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. I'm sure we can that's, find pictures yeah. of the original. That's it. I didn't know if anyone had anything, Andrew sources or, you know, 
Okay. No. So, uh, Match Striker versus Balls Mahoney, which uh, first thing I got to say is Striker comes out and he cuts a house show promo, right? The kind of promo that guys do at house shows to rile up the crowd in the local small audience. You know, like, oh, this guy, he thinks he's extreme, but, you know, we have rules here and I'm going to make him follow the rules and blah, 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 blah. So now all of a sudden this is a striker's rules match. That's some house show fucking bullshit. You don't do that shit on a pay-per-view, especially with an unannounced match. Like, who gave Stryker the right to make up the fucking rules (laughs) But they do talk about that. Like, the announcers are like, why is match trigger? I loved this. I thought Matt Stryker was so fucking money in this match. And like at one point he kicks uh balls Mahoney off the top rope and he's like, it's against the rules. And it just felt so genuine. Like I felt like Matt Stryker was really bringing it. Yeah, no Matt Stryker is mage. He came out and he was actually just, his promo was great. Like I get that it's a, not a pay-per-view thing, but, but it was at this effective. point, like he had actual heat. Compared yeah, to, like, no, he, he started match. to really rile up the crowd and he got everybody chanting for balls. Mahoney. I mean, he really did yeah, everything balls that looked he needed to over. do. Yeah. Balls Mahoney got a pop and balls. Mahoney was not over. I, I, by this point, I'd already accepted what I was getting into. So this was pleasantly surprising that there was just like a nice match with some heat and, Balls Mahoney just looked really good. Matt Stryker looked like a fucking door. Matt Stryker almost, <laughs> the way he moved around the ring, he almost reminds me of MJF. I was about to say, he kind of does. Like, he had a great look, great ring presence. It's, I'm kind of disappointed. How did things end up the way they did for Matt Stryker? Because he was very quickly an announcer. Be, I, I f- I'm pretty sure the deal was either he didn't want to be working in the ring anymore or they were like, no, you don't you don't get to work in the ring anymore. Because it looks like he can work and he's kind of over. He like he got himself better. over in the course of this match and yeah. had very little exposure and was able to he, get heat. He needs better fitting trunks, though. Yeah, they're they a little were, bit short on the butt. They were a little short of the butt, but also they, the they look, did a very, thing where they intentionally zoomed in on his ass heat. for some reason. It was really weird. Matt Stryker's well, got junk in the ass. trunk, and sometimes it's hard to get trunks that fit around all that junk. But yes, no, it's not. You just you have to get the right size. Um, but yeah, I mean, one thing that also stuck out to me is how good of a wrestler Balls Mahoney is. Was. Uh, like dude was fucking Matt wrestling the motherfucker. And I was like, God damn balls on the same token though. I had a couple notes here about how lazy some of his like punches and strikes looked. So I didn't notice that. Yeah. He got blown up later into the match and there was like sort of like a hot strike spot where like striker popped balls and then balls got him like four or five times in a row and they looked horrible. Hey, maybe balls aren't for everyone. I don't know. Uh, do we have any other thoughts on this match before we... Uh, well, it's on? just nice to see, uh, you know, this is the back-to-back Balls Mahoney appearances on our podcast. So that's fun for balls. Yeah. Um, so right after this, we do a uh, backstage segment where we see Sabu is out on the ground 
someone has attacked him and they start talking about, oh no, Sabu may not be in the main event. And the crowd starts chanting bullshit. They are not happy with this development. I did do some research on, on the situation here. Uh, First hand account from Sabu. So he doesn't directly know why he was pulled from this match. He was able to compete. He is under the impression that this was sort of them phasing him out because part of the reason he agreed to come back and be a part of this ECW revival is that they said he would be able to do his thing and that they wouldn't try to change his character. And then within a few weeks, they were giving him absurd promos, having him say shit he wouldn't say, and he would try to whittle it down to a few words. And then leading up to this match, they wanted him to do this ridiculous promo. And so he was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And so it sounds like they pulled him out because they were just like, he's not going to work with us. Uh, that's what that's what he said is his understanding. And to this day, mm-hmm. he does not really know. But what's weird is so he's still stuck around for a solid year or so after this. Like, he didn't go away. And it's really tragic, too, because Sabu is one of the success stories of the relaunch. Like, he is as over as he's ever been during the ECW relaunch. He's putting out good quality um, product. So it does kind of suck that, I guess, is at a time where they're very big about the WWE style. He goes to the main roster for a while. Yeah, I mean, he's... he wrestles John Cena, doesn't he? Yeah. He has a match yeah, with John fucking Cena. It felt like they had decent... De- and Sandman was the same way. Sandman ended up on the main roster for a while. It felt like they had high hopes for these guys. And then they... I don't you know, I don't know. Um, so the next match, and this was... Ugh, uh... It's Elijah Burke and Sylvester Turkai, and it's their debut match on ECW as a tag team. Right. Uh, I think it's the first time we see Elijah Burke wrestle, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. I think we had seen him before just cutting promos, but it's the first time we saw Turkai, and the first time that him and Turkai were together with no buildup. Just here they are. Here's Elijah Burke with his stupid hat. Um, and then there's the FBI that the ECW fans should recognize and they couldn't care less. Well, it's not even the, my, I guess a couple things here in the FBI. Um, it'd be nice if they just kind of had the whole crew out there. Um, and then two, I think that, look, I love Lil Guido. He's really a throwback to like, having jobbers who are kind of recognizable. You know what I mean? Having jobbers that aren't just like local talent. Like this is a guy who's just going to lose every fucking match, like a Funaki situation. Um, but he, they didn't job hard enough to Turkai and Elijah Burke. Right. Right. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a job match. It was just a match. It was just a match. And I was like, why? Yeah. It should have just been a job match. It would have made more sense. And again, get- if you've got like m- the whole crew out there, right? Like if you got the big guy out there, then maybe he's like helping them out, and they're sort of like baby faces cheating a little bit. But I don't know, just didn't didn't really work for me. I wrote, it feels like they're doing everything they can to just piss off ECW fans. 
at this point in the show, because Elijah cuts that little promo in the beginning, and he specifically uses the phrase sports entertainment, and the crowd booed for that. And I'm like, did y'all just purposely just be like, you know what? Fuck it. We're done with the CCW thing. Fuck it. Fuck the ECW fans. Like, it felt like that. This <laughs> We're point, done with it. That's and then it goes was. on for like four more years after this. But in their own vision, not right. as ECW. Well, I mean, it wasn't ultimately that what Paul Heyman was doing at this point. He was just like, fuck it. Doesn't he get fired like right after the show? Uh, two nights later, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought that that was the point of it. Like, he, he realized very quickly, oh, you're using ecw to to get your guys over i can't yeah, do the, what i want the bobby to do. lashley thing show. is is the prime example of that because we've all heard the story about what the plan for the main well we can talk about it when we get to the main event i don't want to jump ahead here but yeah i do have one thing i want first off this match was boring i didn't give a fuck about it uh fun fact about uh sylvester turkey uh one of his other ring names not in wwe just another ring name that he chose to go by was the predator so that's all i think you need to know about sylvester turkey Turkai, whatever. Put some respect on his name. I'm not going to. <laughs> He's got an MMA background, Andrew. You didn't know. He's got those Muay Thai style kicks. Oh, well, I mean, he is also a the Predator. So that's all I need to know about him. Speaking of Predators, the next match was uh, Tommy Dreamer versus Davari. Well, hold on. One more thing about Predators before we move on from that match. Um. Okay. The valet, the FBI's valet, I don't know her name. Trinity. Uh, <laughs> even by like pay-per-view standards, very little clothing on. <laughs> and Taz made sure you were aware of it. Because <laughs> at one point they have a side shot of her and you can like see her entire tit. And like <laughs> Joey Styles and Taz both freak. You guys don't remember this? They both freak out and make a comment <laughs> where they're like, oh, that was a that was a fun look. I think they both comment Joey Styles makes like a comment about how he can't breathe or do his job, but I just left it out because they did the same thing for Malina. Well, I just want to say, if we're talking about Predators, Taz is, you know, he's playing the greatest hits here again. Yeah. So just want to get that into. So, yeah, so next we have Tommy Dreamer versus Davari, which at first when when this these these guys came out, I, I was fatigued at this point in the show, but I was like, oh, Tommy Dreamer. Okay. And I saw Davari. I'm like, yeah, okay, Davari. And it was just awful. There was just nothing good about it. You had Kali out there being big and stupid and like getting involved. And then like eventually he just leave. I don't know. Did the ref kick him out or he just like leave? Honestly, didn't track that. Yeah, I, I, the only thing I were, the only note I have from this match period was I actually really liked Davari's music. That was good music. They used to do a really good job getting music. Right. Well, he got canceled. (laughs) Yeah. Kali was really fucking big here, too. It's crazy how much he shrunk, like, physically. Like, height-wise. My uh, my one note about this match, Tommy Dreamer's cool, but I wasn't excited at all. Uh, one thing that I noticed, though, so Davari was always kind of treated like this nothing cruiserweight that really didn't matter. He's fucking jacked. He's huge. It's crazy. I, I, I don't it's hard to get a sense of how big he actually is because I don't honestly know how big Tommy Dreamer is. And then Kali just towers over everybody. But it's absurd that he was 
I mean, I think in this era that he would definitely not have been treated the same way. Maybe if he was doing the same character, sure. But I think that he ended up in that position because of his size. But right. I mean, by today's standards, he's fucking huge. Davari's one of those guys that you look back and you go, man, he could have been bigger than he was, right? Like he was never going to be WWE champion, right? But he could have had a solid mid card run and it just never happened for him. That, that's, that's the thing is like he, he was saddled with being a little too small for that era and also being foreign. And that's two really big things you don't want to be in this era. I think now yeah. he could easily be. Well, he's you know, not foreign though. He's from like Minnesota. If I remember yeah, but they were treating him because of his race. Right. They were treating him that way. <laughs> yeah, it was a bad time to not be a white or black wrestler is what you're saying. Jeez. Yes. Yeah, WWE was racist for a long time, and they still kind of are. I, I hate to even call it racist as just much as like they just didn't have a lot of guys Vince of varying had, races for reasons that I don't want to get Vince into. Vince had a lot of prejudice around different races where it was like, oh, you look this way, your gimmick is going to be this thing now. Right. It, it's it's what I like to, I've coined the term casual racism, right? If you're Asian, you're a heel. If you're Middle Eastern, you're a heel. If you're European, you may be heel, you may be babyface. If you're North American, you're babyface. That was kind of a great example of it at this time is Colt Cabana, right? Where he's got Colt Cabana has a full gimmick on the indies and it's Mm -hmm. like, you're going to be Scotty Goldman now. (laughs) (laughs) We need a Jew. God damn it. Well, and that's, that's what I was going to get into is it is casual racism. And I think the reason that it was so prominent, not just because Vince McMahon sucks, but it's also like, I mean, he did it with Canadians, too, way back in Bret Hart's era. All the Canadians were Canadian. They were very vocally Canadian. It's a and very eventually old, you had so many Canadians that things. you didn't have to keep doing that. So everybody <laughs> had individual characters. If there was a bunch of, of, you know, Middle Eastern people, then each of them probably could have had something unique. But because they only had Davari and Kali, it's just like, OK, well, you're typecast. This is yeah. what you are. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on before we piss people off with our racism. Uh, up next, we have the mixed tag, uh, Mike Knox and Kelly Kelly versus Kevin Thorne and Ariel. I was excited about this one, let me tell so you. So this one at least had storyline going into it. This one wasn't just a, hey, we're just throwing some people out there. You know, there was at least something going on around it. Yeah, I mean, um, Kelly Kelly and Mike Knox are two people that they're building from day one of the show launching. Mm-hmm. And so is Kevin Thorne. He was being built from day one. Right. Yeah, sci-fi was building him from day one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do want to, uh, before we move on to this, uh, right before this match starts, they do show the segment where they officially make Hardcore Holly the replacement. I have a note here. Hardcore Holly is not hardcore or cool, and I cannot believe he was the replacement that they came up with. Huge downgrade. That's all okay, I want to say. do you not remember, and I don't know if it happened before this or after this, the segment where there was a match where Holly went through a table and it literally sliced his back open from like side to side. It just yeah, I always, I always remembered that that happened in this pay-per-view, but it did not. It didn't happen in this pay-per-view, but it was but somewhere I do know, around there. I don't know what there. you're talking about. Look, Bob Holly, you want to talk about Predator, you want to talk about racism, 
Bob Holly was all of those things, but he was also a tough son of a bitch. Okay. Uh, he earned the moniker hardcore. I'll give him that. But it felt like at this stage in his career, he was no, he wasn't interested. He wasn't interested in putting anyone over but himself. But the problem was he was only at this point, he should have only been putting over other people. And so that was just a kind of recipe for disaster. He's the ultimate, like, so you've got these guys. I'm going to make a football analogy here. Hopefully we've got a lot of football fans so people can track this, but there's always this thing in football about it's hard to evaluate your team unless you have a quarterback because they make their, your offense's performance is so dependent on the quarterback, right? So you've got these guys in the NFL who are like known, like quote unquote average QBs. Like they're just shit enough to where they're sort of the litmus test for your team. Like they will be, they will play exactly as well as the team you have around them are. I always felt like that was hardcore Holly. Like hardcore Holly will give you exactly what the rest of the people in the match will give you. He's not going to carry anyone. He's not going to be a liability. He's just going to be exactly average to whatever the people you surround him with are. Do y'all remember that, that very brief, feud he had with Brock Lesnar. Right. It wasn't bad. No. Look, there was a few times where it felt like Holly was on the verge of something. exactly the same as whoever you put him with. Yeah. He's very plain. So, Um, my only thing that I ever think about with with Hardcore Holly is um, how he participated in the bullying of that Tough Enough guy in the the Royal Rumble uh, the year prior to this, 2005, with Crispin Watt and Eddie Guerrero. Also well, de- well deserved. It, but Pewter? what I Was what it? I always yeah D- Daniel Pewter correct yeah um I when you once you said his last name I immediately remembered I left it out because I could not before I said it um sure he did deserve it however wh- whatever beyond that I just always think about that segment and go interesting the other two bullies our former world champions, two of the best wrestlers in the world. And then Bob Holly. Hey, Bob, you're not one of them. They should be bullying you. But that, that's what I'm saying is Bob Holly fits in, in the wrestling business. He fits in with whoever he's with. Like you can make an argument that Bob Holly like can fit in with Benoit and Eddie Guerrero in that circumstance. Sure. Holly never looked out of place, whether he was jobbing or like in the elimination at the top chamber. of the card. Yeah, I mean, Holly is... What and it's not a compliment. Him. I'm not complimenting him. It technically is, He's though. very bland. No, but it technically is. It's, you know, he's a, he's a good hand. He is a you good hand. You could stick him yeah. anywhere. And um, he's always been a great worker. He's like Billy Gunn just, without personality. Fuck. Well, he has personality. It's called self-absorbed and thinks he's better than everyone else. He's like the one Billy Gunn, except he's... The one Bob Holly. He's like just the Billy part, you know? <laughs> he's, he's Billy Gunn minus something. Wow. So, yeah, some matches, eh, whatever. Uh, the redeeming thing was at the end as they're beating down Kelly Kelly because Mike Knox is like, fuck this, I'm out. Which, okay, whatever. At least we've progressed a storyline. Um, oh, there was that weird thing in the beginning. She gets on the microphone and she's like, I just want to wish CM Punk the best of luck in the elimination chamber tonight. 
And Mike Knox is like looking at her with a death stare. Yeah, there like, was a story with her and CM Punk going on. Here. Yeah, I don't remember the specifics, but I th- I don't know if she ends up like doing tagging with CM. I, I she ends I, I up doing some does. stuff with CM Punk after this too. And right. I think she does some stuff with CM Punk not on screen as well after this, if I'm not mistaken. All right. So anyway, Ariel's beating her down after the match. And then all of a sudden Sandman's music hits and you're like, all right. It was a nice Sand- treat. It so Sandman fun. starts his entrance from the, the, you know, the hundred level of the arena. He's taken his sweet ass time to get to the ring. Meanwhile, Ariel is presumably still beating the shit out of Kelly Kelly. And, you know, Sandman's just taking his time, drinking some beers, slapping high fives. It's like, all right. Well, he's not there to save Kelly Kelly. He's just there to beat some ass. That's true. He was just there to beat Kevin Thorne. (laughs) I actually like the match. I feel like Kevin Thorne and and Mike Knox both showed me enough here to where if I was like scouting to start a wrestling company at this show, I'd be like, I'd bring these guys in for a tryout. Sure. They've got something. This Um, match made more sense than a lot of the others. It wasn't great. The Kevin Thorne gimmick was atrocious, and Mike Knox being paired with Kelly Kelly is an unmanageable position for him. Right. um, Because she's clearly going to be the star of whatever they're doing there. But Uh, separately, they could have done... Well, obviously, Kelly went on to good things. Mike Knox could have also. from, From what I see here... I'm a big Mike Knox fan. I can't remember anything outside of this. So, yeah, my issue with Mike Knox here is that it's it's really difficult for him to get the right kind of heat that isn't go away heat when his gimmick was essentially that he was emotionally and possibly physically abusive to Kelly Kelly, and that was all that we really understood about him. Yeah, he's like Snitsky, but with even less oomph to it, you know. That is the best explanation of Mike Knox I've ever heard. <laughs> um, one other thing, too, to. here uh, to touch on Ariel for a second. Um, not really any comments make other than her gear is so incredibly skimpy, even by the standards of that day. I could not believe it. Right? Like she's got this leg spot where the entire point is for her ass to hang out. You don't remember that? The crowd is chanting like do another even though she's the <laughs> heel beating up Kelly Kelly. I I was blown away by like how sexualized the women were on this show. Mm-hmm. And to yeah. me this was like the what's culmination crazy, of that. What's crazy is how far we got. So go, go seven years from that point, right? 2013. That's the the beginning of NXT and the beginnings of what we have today. Okay. Seven years from that point, you're roughly at today where women are even fucking WrestleMania. It's just nuts how far things progressed from that point. Yeah. And I mean, it's not that long before this, you've got Trish Stratus and Mickey James having a prominent WrestleMania match. Um, you know, and you look back at like the Trish Stratus era of divas and, they were definitely sexualized or objectified, maybe is the better word for it. But like they were valued as wrestlers, but it's also like you're going to have to be hot, but we'll let you wrestle. Whereas this right. feels like way more devolved from that. Even. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's move on to the main event because 
quite frankly, that's the only reason anyone in that building was there. It's the only reason we're here. Uh, so it's the extreme elimination chamber. Uh, we start out with Paul Heyman coming down to the ring and cutting a promo. He's just kind of rambling on about like Ric Flair. If Ric Flair was dead, people would forget about him or some bullshit, but people aren't going to forget about extreme or some shit. It's like, all right. No. So Paul Heyman is a heel at this point, right? Cause the baby fa- it almost felt like a baby face promo. He was definitely a heel. Like yeah. he is a heel and he's kind of being a heel, but it's also like you, you would think that would get a baby face reaction in that arena. So why are you? I I feel like he knew that he was going to get fired. And so he was just like, Fuck. well, so before we start with this match, can we do a little context here? Because this is a pivotal moment in this is basically the day ECW dies, right? Yeah, because I mean, the original plan from Paul Heyman's perspective, his proposal was CM Punk's going to enter the elimination chamber and like choke out the first guy, sit, wait for the next guy, choke out that guy, sit, wait for the next guy and run the gauntlet. And like this was going to be Paul Heyman's way of we're going to transition. We're going to build new stars. We're going with CM Punk. That was his proposal. And then it's like, nope, you're going to build Bobby Lashley so we can have him do a match with Donald Trump next year. So to to your earlier point, this is where it becomes clear that this is not your thing anymore, Paul. Apparently, Paul had wanted Lashley because he wanted to make Lashley a monster on the brand. Uh, Obviously, Vince had other ideas. You know, Lashley would not be a monster. He would be a top babyface, which is how we get to where we're at. Uh, so like I said, this is an extreme elimination chamber, which basically means each guy gets to bring a weapon in with them, except for the two that start. I don't know. Uh, let's see. What did I write down from this? Uh, before we <sighs> Not a lot. Uh, switch to the actual match itself, I do want to point out uh, just I have just a short quote here from Paul Heyman's promo that he says that I just think is hysterical. Long after my death, ECW will live on. That's a quote from Paul Heyman during this promo. Which isn't false because it is on the network. So. Jesus Christ. Um, so this match starts off. Uh, it's what's it? RVD and Bob Holly, right? Yes. Uh, and it's fine. I mean, there's nothing great. There's also nothing bad. RVD's got some cool spots. He does like the little Spider-Man spot that he does in every Elimination Chamber where he like jumps up onto the cage. And... I did notice Rob was very snug uh, with people uh, in this, especially with Bob Holly and uh, also with Punk. Well, Rob has been known for being snug too. Yes. Um and he also is known for having issues with both Bob Holly and Punk. So, um, so Punk comes in and he basically gets taken out pretty quick. You don't I, I, to me that was a fuck you to Heyman, and that's yeah. sort of why I brought up Heyman's original proposal for how the match should go. It's like, nope, we'll do you one better. <laughs> like, how does like, Punk get eliminated before Bob Holly? <laughs> Well, how like, did he Punk get eliminated? Wins the ECW title not that long after this. No, 
But he gets eliminated before anyone else. He gets eliminated before people who are even in the fucking match. And he's probably the most over person in the match other than he's, Rob. He got the biggest your, pop. People are chanting CM Punk yeah. before the match starts. And then they're chanting bullshit when he gets eliminated. Yeah, and I think so. that this speaks to uh, if you go, if you remember in your in your time machines, the CM Punk documentary, uh, they talk about this moment in Punk's career, and one of the quotes that always stood out to me was that Heyman liking Punk actually hurt Punk more than like it helped him, and it it actually ended up being detrimental. And I think it's one of these moments that this probably was a fuck you to Paul Heyman, but in doing so, you're burying CM Punk's career right now. And he obviously his charisma and his talent ends up being undeniable. And he ends up leading the ECW brand for a short time and then becoming one of the biggest stars in wrestling, period. But this is the kind of shit that they're talking about well, when they said that in that documentary. It's like, yeah, there is it's been it was well documented. It. it was well documented on the Bruce Pritchard podcast, too, where he brought up this has come up multiple times where if Paul Heyman was really into you at this time. It was a problem. Um and then it's not so surprising that Paul Heyman gets fired and, and then they get punk the belt not too long after this. So I all signs point to yes on what you're saying. It just makes no sense that this whole prior to this ECW relaunches in the summer of 06, the previous five, six months, you've been pushing punk as an up and coming like he's the guy. Right. And then you just shit all over because you're pissed off at Paul Heyman like. I swear to God, there's times that, again, it goes back to what we said last week, a failure of the organization. WWE will shoot themselves in the foot to spite themselves because they are so fucking just vindictive and vengeful sometimes. I mean, it's clear evidence that Vince has always been this way because he still would do shit like this if he was in charge. He was doing it recently until he left. And, you know, this was, what, over 15 years ago? about 15 years ago somewhere around there so uh, I mean, yeah 16 years ago yeah it, this is just a thing that he does so after punk goes out test eliminates rvd uh oh bob holly randomly gets eliminated like after punk and it's kind of weird I, like, I have a note about this the ref doesn't pin him no they just sort of tell him to leave and he's just like okay he doesn't yet. Yeah, so I don't even think the ref counts one. Or no, he counts one. So, you know, when you when you're watching wrestling, the ref always has his hand down first. So like the ref will come and bring their hand down. That's not the first fall. That's them sliding their hand in position. Then they go for the count. So he does that gets the one. And then you, because that first initial like lifting up and like putting his hand down, like getting it in position and lifting it up because that happens sort of off screen. Your brain kind of thinks, okay, maybe this is this, that second one is two. But then when he goes down to the, to do three, he doesn't hit the mat. And then they don't call anything. And then the ref just goes like, get out. Get out of here. <laughs> it's very awkward. And I'm, I still don't know if he actually even counted. Not only do I not, I'm not Bob even sure Holly that... is technically still in the elimination. It's him and <laughs> who's still in the rumble. Is, is there someone who's still Curtis in the rumble? Axel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I not only am I I'm positive he didn't count three. I'm not even sure that that was. I think that that was the two that he missed. It's very <laughs> confusing. If you, if you 
want to go back and look at it. It's really hard to see. I don't think that he actually counts more than two and a half, like one and a half. Yeah, it was just weird. And I guarantee Bob was just like, ah, fuck it. I ain't going to fight this. I'm done. Like, whatever. Look, Bob did his job, which was to make sure that CM Punk was the first one eliminated. (laughs) Like, all all Vince really cared about is like, well, we'll have Punk go out first. Bobby Lashley will beat everybody. And then I figure it out. Right. Uh, so then Test eliminates RVD, which leaves us with the just the fucking heels, which is and Bobby Lashley. <laughs> also in fucking insane, given the context of like, it's it's just like I I don't know if they had decided that it was going to be elimination chamber before they sort of knew who who the players were going to be. Cause it's like I think they, they knew. Did, I think I think they knew it was going to be because it's like chamber. Punk and Rob Van Dam. They almost get them out of the way just so it can be like, all right, now it's Lashley versus everybody. So it's like they could have just but done this not in an elimination chamber. But that wasn't yeah. Lashley versus everybody. It was just Lashley versus Test in the Test big, and then show. big Show. <laughs> well, Test I mean, you is, think they yeah. would learn from their failures of handicap situations involving the Big Show after Undertaker's WrestleMania 19 match? Hey, that was all on Nathan Jones, okay? Was it though? I think the match was better off without Nathan Jones and it was still bad. Yeah. yeah, Big Show had some years here. I'd say we were still in it where he just really couldn't move. Like he was He's so huge big. right here. <laughs> also, he I, I really was a, the big show at this point. I didn't get a chance to mention this too. Uh Lashley looks really good here. His entrance was really cool. He is like he is mildly over. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Bobby Lashley here. He's His promo really, was he's atrocious. Really yeah, yeah, no, he's too green. Uh, also, though, I don't recall that his fireworks are supposed to... I always thought his fireworks go off around him. They go off right in his face. <laughs> like, the fireworks oh, yeah, blast him in the fucking chest and the eyes. Yeah, I feel like that was react. a fuck up. I don't remember that actually being a thing. Because they always go in, like, in a cross behind him. Like, they were definitely trying to make him, you know... Blackberg, but mm-hmm. also Black he did Lesnar. the Lesnar fireworks too. Black Lesnar's a good one. No, after yeah. Lesnar left, he they looked at him as you're Lesnar now. If you want to go back and was. watch this <laughs> this match, I do think this match is worth watching. Watch that entrance. Watch the fireworks go off right at him. It's shocking that he doesn't react to it. It had to be a mistake. <laughs> it had to be. I mean, it gets like around like it's all over his chest his shoulder and probably in like his face and eyes i was surprised like i he the fact that he doesn't react is like god he's tough because this is an oddly specific observation about bobby lashley and given that it's not really in the context of this match but i want to get it out there since we're talking about lashley for those of you who are familiar with former first lady michelle obama her brother (laughs) looks exactly like bobby lashley so I don't know if you guys are at home. Go ahead and Google Michelle Obama's brother. But I'm like watching Lashley here and I'm like, man, his head is so unique. And where have <laughs> I seen this before? <laughs> oh, my God. One thing also that I noticed. So like Lashley wins, whatever. At the end of the show, they must have clearly realized that they were running out of time because they scramble to get off the air. Like Lashley's up uh, on the ramp after He's high-fiving people, but he's, like, smacking the shit out of them as he's doing it. Like, 
Like he would hurt people as he's doing it. But he gets up there and he holds the, the belt up and they start doing the fireworks. And Joey Styles just screams like, you know, Lashley's the champ. Thanks for thanks for watching. And they they fade immediately out. And it was like, what happened? What? Why did we cut it off that quickly? Yeah, I, I do. I did like. I thought the match was at least fun. Um, I did also. I will say I liked the Lashley getting locked in the pod by Paul Heyman's fucking like stormtroopers, and then using a table to break his way out. It kind of. I I do think it added to the match. It did make him look. Well, and, and they needed and to figure out something because everybody had like a nice, good striking weapon. But then like Lashley's given this table. It's like, what the fuck is he going to do with that? <laughs> it's I, like I, Punk yeah, is I, like beating on the chair. Like Tess is like looking at the pipe or whatever. And then like Lashley's like, ah, good firm table right here. Yeah, I, yeah, I, don't, I didn't. We didn't take any time to really shit on the the match concept. I thought the, the, the idea of an extreme elimination chamber where there's more weapons involved, it was really cool. I just thought the execution was weird. Everybody has, there's specific weapons too. It, like they were like, that was a part of the gimmick. They're like, Oh, there's going to be a fucking barbed wire bat in the chamber. It's like, you couldn't just weapons or weapons. It was very weird. that They were like, we knew exactly which options they were going to have beforehand. Like it was good. Like that made it interesting. It, I think it would have been better if they just had like I don't I don't I don't know a creative solution. Maybe the uh, there isn't like the the steel grates on the side. Maybe that's lower. Like the whole thing is on the ground so that they can get under the ring and there's just all kinds of shit under there. Or you just have like a fucking dumpster full of shit. Well, I, don't I think know. this is the only something time more they interesting. Did the quote unquote extreme elimination chamber and probably for good reason. Well, it's just because they executed it poorly. But honestly, you, they could have made it work. Well, it's just like, how many gimmicks do you need in them? The Elimination Chamber is already such a huge gimmick. Yeah. It's like true. you really need to have like crowbars and one table. But that's my point, though, is that the weapons did make it a little bit cooler. Especially if you're not going to do all of the I liked the that the weapons were predetermined because it was like, mm, I'm excited to see how this table comes into play. Right, it's like as soon as we establish there's a table in one of these pods, that means this table's getting used. It just it felt like the video game where you go to the weapon wheel and you pick what weapons you're gonna have in your match. <laughs> like, yeah, but there's the weapon wheel's so small for no reason, and so there's a very small amount of weapons. And then if you wanted to have one of every item, you actually can't. Like after four items, you get another one. An item just randomly disappears from the game. You can have three chairs, no more. Well, and there's not really a lot of weapons that make sense in a wrestling ring, honestly, when you think about it. Like, there was a period of time not too long before when this happens where, like, they're using stop signs and shit where it's like, why the fuck do you have a stop sign? So, like, I don't necessarily mind the weapon assortment that they provided us. I feel like they were the kind of the main weapons that you should be using. I just thought it would have been more interesting. Maybe a trash with, can with, would have been good, but with more stuff or like a bin of stuff where it could be like, oh, you know, somebody's going to go to that bin and they're going to pull out God knows what, and so it kind of makes it a little bit more interesting. Um, it being a predetermined set of weapons, I thought was weird, but you know, it's whatever. 
All right. Uh, before we wrap this up, do we have anything else we want to say about December to dismember? I'm hoping it's going to, this show's going to be a fucking December to not remember, you know? There's what? some there's some sort of pun there. December to misremember. December to never remember. I don't know. Okay. I so want to saying, forget about this show. Oh, I've already forgotten. Like, we just talked about it for an hour. I already forgot half of it. It's things. the biggest waste of hour talking about it, let alone the four hours spent watching it. Yeah, I I apologize to you, the fan, that just listened to this, because if you thought it was bad for you to listen to, it was bad enough for us to watch. And then I would not us. recommend watching this show. Like, don't this, listen to this and be like, oh, let me go watch this. It'll be funny to watch it because it's so bad. Just don't watch it. Just There's look no up reason. the clips of things that we talked about on YouTube so you can see what happened on that specific thing. And that's it. That's all you need. All right, I think that's going to wrap it up for us today. Uh, make sure you like and subscribe to us on uh, uh, Apple Podcasts and Pandora and Spotify and all that good stuff. Um, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Facebook, Such Good Shit Pod, and email us, Such Good Shit Pal at gmail.com. Uh, and this is it for the uh, for the year. I mean, there's like two days left, but. Who's counting? So goodbye, 2022. Goodbye, shitty December to dismember. And uh, we've got some good stuff planned for uh, 2023. So see you then.